is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Well, the fires may be under more control and the storms may have passed, but their effect continues to well, hurt many in communities and on farms around the state. Today, we will travel to some of those areas to find out how people are coping, what they're doing, some of the interesting ways people are continuing to be able to milk cows and farm their properties, but also start to look to make things better for the future or rebuild. If that's you, if you want to tell us how you're going, you can always get in contact, 1300 977 222. Give us a call on the country hour or send a text 0467 842 We'll be on farm shortly. The Shadow Agriculture Minister will join you as well. Plus, we will talk about the results of a buyback tender in the Murray-Darling Basin plan later on in the program. All of that and more coming up on the country hour. You can let me know how you're going, though. Send a text 0467 842 the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Let's begin today in Gippsland where the effects of the storms are still uh, hurting many dairy farm businesses. Some farmers have been able, unable to milk for days, others relying on generator power and the destruction and the cleanup is still going on on the roads and properties uh, well over a large area. Our reporter Fiona Broom has been out the last few days looking at at this and he's on farm right now to tell us more. Fiona, uh, what can you tell us? G'day, Was. Uh, well, yeah, coming, coming back into town yesterday, it's still pretty confronting seeing the level of damage as you sort of come up the hill and you come into Merby North where I am today. Uh, there are crews out everywhere. We're calling them the chainsaw brigades. They're out everywhere just trying to get the trees cleared off the roads, off properties. Um, they're doing a, a pretty good job in the reserve, the main reserve in town. I reckon they've cleared about half of it, which uh, is, is getting on pretty well there. Um, and looking at sort of properties as you come out of town a bit, there's just, you know, tarps across roofs everywhere. So a, f- a fair bit of damage in the cleanup continuing today. And uh, in terms of the area that the damage has occurred, Fiona, sort of how wide an area are we looking at here? That's still something that we are trying to understand. We know that the area that I'm in now, which is um, sort of South Gippsland, the Strasleki Ranges area, there's quite a wide range um, that was hit by those really, really strong winds on Tuesday. But we're also hearing that if you go sort of south east a bit closer to the coast, that there's also um, some access problems down there. And going further east into Gippsland, I understand there's still quite a lot of power outages. And that's kind of really one of the big problems here in the Streslekis in um, Merby North at the moment is that infrastructure damage. I, you know, I'd, at a guess, I'd say we're looking at definitely days, if not weeks, until, um, you know, we're getting power back uh, into town and out onto the farms and on properties around here. So that's obviously really bad news for um, the horticultural operations out here, um, livestock and, of course, dairy. And I am at a dairy farm now. Luckily, we've got a generator and Starlink. So that's how we're, we're chatting to you right now. Um, I'm in Merby North. I am with Colin Wingens. G'day, Colin. G'day. How are you? Tell me, what was your experience of the storm that hit Tuesday? Oh, I was actually down in Langatha at my blocks and, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild down there. And then, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a job getting back here after dealing with the problems down there, getting back to the farm. 
Um, and just, yeah, there's no, there's no phones, no reception, so I didn't even know how my, my partner and, and the kids were or how the farm was. So, yeah, it was a bit hard getting back, but, yeah, we got there. What did you find when you did get back? Oh, look, our place is fairly well unscathed, beside no, no, no power. We've got a few trees down in awkward places, but no big deal. But, um, yeah, from our place on into moving off, it's just it's like a bomb went off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you heard? I mean, getting in touch with people at the moment is pretty hard. What have you heard in terms of damage on other properties? I imagine there's just, like, fences down everywhere. Yeah, well, wherever there's trees um, from here from here on, um, wherever there's trees and fences, it's it's all over. There's just, there's just rubbish everywhere, trees down, like trees snapped off 20 foot in the air. Mm. Just, yeah, and, and it's just a mess. Wherever there's trees and infrastructure, it's all just a mess. Any, did you have any um, injuries to any of your livestock, your cattle? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think a, a calf had a tree fall on it, and, yeah, that was about it, really. Yeah. Um, We've got cattle out everywhere on the farm. They're not off the farm, but they're ev- out everywhere because of uh, electric fences don't work with no power. <laughs> but that's about it, yeah. So you've got a little generator running here. Is there yep. fuel in town? Well, I don't know. I couldn't get any in town yesterday. I ended up going to Lean Gatha to organise what I need to get the cows milked and to get fuel for the generators and everything. Um, and I think BP in Lean Gatha was the only place with a generator to get the fuel so you could get fuel and there was like an hour and a half wait so I just went to um, my mate Benny Vag's dairy farm and and uh, put some diesel off him and some petrol out of his fuel tanks so yeah. So what are you doing at the dairy if you haven't got a generator or any access to mains power? Well I've, I've got um, like a I think a 10 kilowatt um, generator to run the the power points I need and then um, the local uh, Tracy dairy supplies They've actually got a vacuum pump on a on a petrol motor, so they came down yesterday, hooked that in, and um, yeah, fire that up, and then we can milk, get the cows milked, and and keep going. But they're going around to yeah, a group of farms, so they they just dropped in. They'll be here in two hours for us to milk the cows again to come back with it. So yeah, have you had a, any pickups from your processors? No, no. I uh, well, you can't get in touch with them. Mm. Like you like if you if you're gonna get. Like, we can't cool the vat here, um, so we'd have to do hot pickup. And, um, but, yeah, they got to come right when you're finished. So, I mean, yesterday it wasn't going to happen because I didn't know when I was going to be able to milk and couldn't get in touch with anyone. So, yeah, um, might be able to do something today, but, yeah, um, we'll, we'll see how we go. It's a bit short notice. Maybe a bit early to, to be asking this question, but do you have an idea of the financial impact of this storm? Oh, not really. It depends how long it goes for. Um, the longer we can't milk the cows properly, like twice a day, like we'd like, you know, that, that increases the chance of getting mastitis and, and, and then mm. that flows on and, you know, more drugs and to fix the cows up, you've got to tip all the milk out and, yeah, I mean, it's just, you just don't know, you just got to see. Mm. So, yeah. Um, the community is also dealing with the loss of a local farmer. Um, we haven't uh, spoken with his family yet, so we won't be naming him now. But he's well known to the community, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone knows who he is. He's yeah, a great fellow, one of the best farmers I know. Um, and yeah, he's he's uh, been good to a lot, a lot of us younger guys that have come up, especially with you know bouncing ideas off him and, and asking questions and you know how do we go about it? What do we do? Because you know someone at the top of their game like him um, going to learn a lot from. Mm. 
So, yeah, shattering. Where to from here for, for yourself and the community? I don't know, really. Um, so we've got to get everything cleaned up and, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are just trying to, um, you've got to get your own stuff sorted first and then and then see what you can do. Um, but, yeah, it's just a big, it's going to be a big clean-up in town. Like, it's just... Yeah, I was driving through with the tractor and um, I couldn't see over the top of the fallen logs when I was driving through the other day. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's a mess. I don't know how they're going to clean it up. I don't know how they're going to fix everything quickly. Um, the highway's still blocked. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a mess. You just got to do what you can do, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Colin Wingens, thank you so much for having me out to your property today. Was back to you. Thank you very much for that, Fiona. Fiona Broom there on location at Merbu North at Colin Winchin's property, as you heard the hum of the generator in the background and Starlink. It's amazing, actually, the power and even the internet really has got to be privately run, really, on the dairy farm, doesn't it? Just to be able to uh, get a message out with that huge cleanup still underway and Colin's still dumping milk uh, as he tries to keep his cows going during this uh, this uh, recovery from a storm. Well, are you even in a recovery mode as uh, I suppose the effects are still quite real? You can send us a text about how you're going, 0467842722 to keep in touch with us here on the Country Hour. Uh, let's stay in dairy right now. We'll head further west to Bina where dairy farmer Bruce Glasgow was caught out in the storm as it swept through and feels... Well, he feels lucky to have survived the storm in general. He's still without power, with Osnet estimating they'll try and restore power there by the weekend. About quarter to three, you could hear the wind start to pick up. Um, and then within like 20 seconds, the, the sky just turned black with dust. Uh, lost power once, um, power came back on, then lost power again. After that, I resigned the fact that we're going to be out power, without power for a while, so I went to go and get the tractor to hook up to the generator um the wind picked up again it started raining um the roof of a shed flew past the face as i was walking to the tractor so i was lucky enough to uh, avoid that um and yeah just probably for two three minutes you just couldn't comprehend what was happening it was just carnage everywhere and it was only once the dust settled that you were able to look around and see the um the damage that had been done uh, we've lost sheds possibly up to 50 cypress trees. Um, yeah, it's been devastating. Um, obviously, others are a lot worse off than us, but um, it's sort of puts a bit of perspective into to kind of imagine what people with bushfires and floods go through because yeah, this is our first touch of a natural disaster. So you were caught out in it. Did you have to shelter from, from the, the wind and what was it like? Uh, yes, I did. After, after that flew past, uh, the, the roof of the shed flew past, I did go back into the dairy. Um, and sort of reassess, just catch my breath because, uh, yeah, it put the wind up me um, a bit and, yeah, waited for it to settle down. The, then the rain started, so things things calmed down while it was raining. Um, so I made a break for it in the rain and, yeah, started to get the generator hooked up and um, milking again. But, um, yeah, that coincided with school bus pickup, which I was on duty for that night. So it was chaos trying to find out where um, kids were, whether they were trapped, whether... Uh, because of trees over the highway, whatever. It was um, yeah, quite chaotic there for, for a couple of hours, not uh, just making sure everyone was safe. What prompted you to get a generator, which is now operating your dairy and, I guess, the rest of your farm, right? We always had a generator to milk, but we couldn't cool milk. And then after the 2021 um, 
storm, um, which is insignificant compared to this one. Um, yeah, we uh, we decided to put a generator in for um, uh, animal welfare as much as anything so that we could milk the cows. Um, yeah, I think we were without power for two and a half days after that storm. So we um, not much fun for, for the girls to be um, not milked for that period. And what kind of investment is that, getting a generator that can do that kind of thing? I think the generator itself would might have been five grand. Uh, milk company at the time, they paid for half of it because uh, obviously they get a benefit out of it as well. Um, and then installation was, that's probably um, a deer apart when you think about it, that was probably two and a half grand. So yeah, seven and a half to 10 grand, depending on your size of your dairy. But with the power outages we've had since, I think after that 2021 storm in June, we had a, there was a cup day storm. And then there's been a couple of others, smaller ones until now. Um, so it's, it's more than paid for itself. And what are you hearing from other farmers in the district? Is there anyone else in trouble that doesn't have generators or is milk being picked up? I think most people have generators now. Uh, I've heard of a couple of farms that have had to dump milk um, just through tankers not being able to get there. I'm, I'm not sure what it is at the at the processor uh, end of things, whether they're even able to process milk. So silos might be full and they just can't handle anymore until uh, till they get going again. Um, it was really hard yesterday to be able to organise clean-up and just check in on other farmers to see if they're okay because the mobile phone reception was um, so well, non-existent for, for nearly 24 hours, which is pretty ordinary for situations like this. It's crazy for what we're trying to do to make things right again um, and not being able to have it um, is, yeah, it makes it really hard to, to, to fix things. That is Bruce Glasgow speaking there. He's a dairy farmer at uh, Beena and he was talking to Emma Field. We have reports from South Gippsland, also at Alberton, that milk's been dumped and processors were unable to do milk pickups. We've contacted Saputo for comment. We'll try and find out more for you and when we have those details, we'll give them to you. It'll be... Yeah, we've talked about more than 200 stock losses uh, from the fires, which we're about to cross to as well, and we're trying to get figures there. But even just the idea of how much milk has been dumped will be an interesting issue for us to follow, and we will continue to do so on your behalf. If you can help us out, you can always send us a text, 0467 842 722. And as the cleanup begins after the fires, calls for assistance and support are beginning as the Premier and Government Ministers go out into regional Victoria to survey the damage. We have a request in with Agriculture Victoria to get some data on stock and other losses to agriculture and from the fires and storms too. Like I was just saying, they're working on that information for you. We don't have that yet today. We also have a request in with Victoria's Agriculture Minister, Ros Spence, but I uh, haven't heard back yet. Shadow Agriculture Minister, Emma Keeley, can join you now, though. She is the Nationals member for Lowen, so the local member for the fire-affected communities in the Grampians, and also is about to attend a tour with the Premier in her electorate. So I spoke to her a short time ago about the fires, storms and what communities and agriculture need. From what I heard late last night from some locals, they were still uncertain whether their home had been destroyed by fire or was still standing. It's the uncertainty that's probably the the most stressful at the moment. Uh, I'm hopeful that Pomona locals will be able to get back into their community today and uh, grieve their losses, support one another and then take those important next steps on how they can work to clean things up and rebuild. 24 houses burnt at Pomonal. Not knowing that area well, just how much of that community is is that amount of houses? Oh, it, it's a significant proportion, Warri. I, I guess the Pomonal area, it, it is, it's not a heavily built-up area. Most people are on larger blocks of land. So 
to consider that there would be around 20 or confirmed 24 homes destroyed, uh, it really does rattle that community. Uh, they're somewhat fortunate in that the CFA volunteers on the ground and the and forest fire management and the guys up in the sky were able to save some really important community assets and social assets. So Barney's, which is the pub, uh, that was saved. Uh, the historic church, which uh, locals are, you know, cherish, is that was saved as well. The hall was saved. The primary school was saved. And Nadia's shop was saved as well. So in terms of that key infrastructure and the social infrastructure, that's all been saved as far as I know. But there are some businesses that have been hit by fire, um, particularly tourism accommodation businesses and, of course, a really high number of private homes as well. What does the community need? Uh, we've got the emergency relief payments through, which is fabulous. There's a lot of people who've been displaced. Uh, there were about 150 people who went through the Stall Emergency Relief Centre and uh, I think about another 20 who went through the Ararat Emergency Relief Centre uh, because this is an area that has housing issues, as does many areas of the state, but there's particular housing shortages in that local area. Uh, there's no real accommodation available for the for the long term, for the six, 12 months that people might need uh, until their homes are rebuilt in either Halls Gap or a stall, which is under pressure because of the abattoir there and the gold mine. And then if you look at Ararat, they've got the prison and a lot of industry going on there as well. And it was already a problem, the lack of access to rental properties in those areas. Even buying a property is extraordinarily difficult. Now we've got 24 families without a home. Uh, I know that there's been an enormous generosity from the local community in offering up accommodation, whether it is uh, you know, holiday accommodation or the like, or maybe they're away at the moment. There's been very generous offers that I think there will need to be a, a look at bringing in modular homes on the private land in, to provide short-term accommodation until people can rebuild in the same way we did for the for the Grampians bushfires. So I've put that I've spoken to the councils about that, and I've uh, put that request up through the premier's office as well. So that's the biggest priority. People want certainty to know what are they going to do to get back on their feet, and I think knowing they're going to have a roof over their head will uh, be very very welcomed by many. With your Shadow Agriculture Minister uh, hat on as well, You're not only looking after your local community, which is clearly so important, but there's been wide devastation from not only the fire event, but the wild weather and the storms that came with it as well. So you've got the, the farming community in, in Lowen, but also uh, the uh, farming community down in, in areas of Gippsland where... Uh, once again, power has been lost. Uh, farmers have been forced to dump milk off dairy farms. Tragically, one farmer was killed in the storms as well in that part of the world at Merbu North. Uh, are you hearing much? Is there much work that needs to be done there to get that community back on their feet? Absolutely, and, and terrible to hear of the loss of life, life of that Gippsland farmer. Um, we've been very fortunate in the bushfires and that we haven't had any loss of human life, uh, but your heart just goes out to people who are, you know, who lose their lives in those disaster zones. It's just awful for, for their family and their community. Um, we know that we need to get the power back on as soon as possible. And I think, again, people just want certainty that they're going to get power at this certain time and get reconnected and get their business back on track. Uh, there are so many businesses that rely on power and agriculture is no different. Uh, we've got another element as well with the fires over on my side of the state, Warwick, where um, we have a large amount of 
stock which has been uh, injured by fire or, uh, and they are, are being assessed by the um, ASIC vet at the moment and there's some assistance there. There'll, there will have to be um, some management of um, the disposal of those animals and uh, in appropriate way in accordance with the EPA guidelines then uh, there may be a requirement for some assistance extra assistance from the government to uh, help support those uh, farmers that have been impacted to replace the stock. And, of course, if there are other impacts in other areas, as you've said, like milk dumping, then that needs to be looked at as well, particularly if it extends for a really long period of time. Obviously, in the Grampians region there, are there any concerns at this stage of, uh, of smoke taint in grapes? Uh, I haven't heard of that yet, but that absolutely is a possibility given the proximity to vineyards in that in the Grampians area. Uh, there have been a lot of smoke warnings issued from a health perspective, and I must admit I was expecting uh, it to be thick smoke this morning around the Horsham area where I, I live and where I'm speaking to you from. But uh, while you can smell the smoke in the air, uh, we you can't. It's not too bad when it comes to visibility, but. I'm yet to receive an update on that, Warwick, but I know it's something that we may have to just wait and see what the impacts are once the, the harvest uh, comes through for those grapes. And as we go to air, you'll literally be meeting with the Premier as well. What will you be asking the Premier for? Yeah, I, I've called for the Premier to come over here and it's great that she's in my part of the state today. Uh, we need to see uh, this declared as a natural disaster, which will unlock payments from the federal government that then feeds through the state down to the councils and to individuals who've been most impacted by uh, not just the bushfire but by the other uh, disastrous wind conditions that we had across the state. It's really important that we see that rolling sooner rather than later because um, people are really struggling and as I said at the top of the show we really just need to make sure that people are supported to get on their feet as soon as possible. Take us to your community as well. Are you, you mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but what kinds of stories are you hearing about what CFA volunteers have done, uh, how communities have mobilised to help each other in the wake of such a, a difficult event? Uh, what's happening in, in your part of the world right now? It's quite incredible. I mean, Pomona's a wonderful community anyway, although, you know, many country communities in regional Victoria are fabulous. It's a, um, the way Pomona has come together, they're sharing information about people who... You know, during the fire, they were sharing information about people who they had heard were at risk and needed CFA crews to come in and rescue them. I've heard of a CFA volunteer who was aware that their own house had burned down, but they kept on the tap truck, didn't tell anybody on the truck that they'd lost their house and just kept on trying to um, put out the fires as part of that strike team. Uh, we've got uh, Cole McCaffer from Barney's and Susie McCaffer they set up a GoFundMe page, which over the past 24 hours has raised over $30,000, which will be used to support some of those people who, um, you know, haven't been able to get on their feet, some community support in terms of just making sure everyone can come together and be looked after. It's really amazing. I mean, the offers I've had even overnight of people emailing me, offering pet food, adjustments for horses, um, removal of trucks, so many different things. The, the generosity of the community is phenomenal and I think these kind of events, while they're an absolute tragedy and cause so much stress and trauma at the time, at the other side generally it just does 
it brings our communities closer and there are small, small snippets in there where you can just say, gee, we're so lucky to live where we are and have such wonderful people in our community who are willing to stand up and roll up their sleeves when time is so tough. Emma Keeley, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Warwick. Shadow Agriculture Minister, member for Lowen, the Nationals, Emma Keeley, speaking to you there, uh, local member for the area where the fires is, the agriculture, though, uh, much more widely affected across the state. We'll talk through those things. We do have a request in with Ross Spence, uh, the state's agriculture minister, to talk through some of these issues with as well. Lisa's on the line, though, 1300 two of the phone lines are still holding up for us from Colville, uh, south of Morwell there. Uh, g'day, Lisa. How are you going? Uh, what were your experiences like in the in the um, storms when they hit? Well, my we're dairy farmers, and my eleven year old and myself were decided to go get the milkers a little bit earlier that um, particular day because the storm was coming, and usually we always lose power here. And as we were bringing the cows closer to the shed, I commented to my eleven year old, "Look at the formation of those clouds. It was the most unusual." swirling um, motion of clouds I've ever seen. And we weren't very far from the cow shed and we are bringing the milkers up the laneway and an almighty, powerful gust of wind picked up and twisted the top of a cypress tree out, which landed on our milkers in the laneway, um, very close to hitting me under the tree. Um, And we had several cows stuck under the cypress tree. Unfortunately, one died pretty much straight away. We've got one that is down and doesn't look like she's going to get up. And we had several with fairly serious um, cuts and swelling and that on their faces and legs. One got caught in the barbed wire fence. Um, We've got numerous trees down on fences. We've got no power. We had to dump milk. Um, Very, very limited phone reception. Um, it was quite scary. I'm running a generator just to keep the fridge going at the house and the pressure pump because all our property runs on pressure pumps, which is power. Um, Lisa, yeah. that must have been really scary, particularly the moment the tree fell. Very scary, considering my 11-year-old usually likes to run up behind the milkers to push them up onto the yard for me. And to think that, you know, he could have being um, seriously injured or killed under that tree as, long as, as well as myself was terrifying. Oh, I bet. Um, I bet, Lisa. Uh, how has how he been since since that moment? Um, he's, actually, he's not too bad. I've got a, an older son and, and my 11-year-old, and they're like little troopers. They helped. They actually helped um, free some cows under the tree after it had fallen. Um, no, they no. He, he's very good. He actually attends Mervyn North Primary School, um, so he can't go to school either because they got hit quite bad at Mervyn North. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, you mentioned had our, you've had to dump milk. Do you have any idea how much milk you've had to dump? Um, we were lucky enough that we, we, it was probably about 500 litres of milk we dumped because we managed to milk the cows before the power went off. Um, so we didn't milk them yesterday, but last night we got the electrician to um, find a generator for us to wire into our shed um, so we could at least milk the cows um, and refrigerate the milk for today for the milk to be picked up. But other than that, we, just, we don't have power and we don't know when the power is coming back on. 
Power, and you even said at the start of this call, Lisa, you, you've lost power in some of these similar storm or, or weather events in, in Gippsland before. Is it frustrating, I suppose, mm-hmm. the level of service you're getting with power at the moment? Very frustrating. Um, and especially this time around when all the um, internet access and stuff has been down as well, we can't, we can't ring out, we can't um, find out emergency alerts or... Uh, yeah, it's quite... Uh, I had to drive into our nearest town last night just to sit in front of the post office to get Wi-Fi to look on the emergency app um, to see when power may be coming back on. It's very frustrating. Well, our best uh, wishes to you and your family and, and good luck with the clean-up as well. And uh, I'm just so glad you're here to at least tell us the story after coming so closely. So thanks for the call. No worries. Thank you. Lisa there in Colville uh, in Gippsland telling us what happened at her place on 1300 uh, You can call that number too if you'd like to have a chat to us or if you've got a question you'd like us to, uh, to ask of the authorities. We're happy to do that on your behalf. I better get to rural news with Emma Field. We'll come back with a weather report after that. Uh, good afternoon, Emma. G'day, Warwick. The Federal Agriculture Minister says farmers meeting emission targets won't drive up food prices. The government has committed to reduce methane emissions across all sectors by at least 30% by 2030. However, groups including the National Farmers Federation say cutting emissions needs to be economically viable. Under questioning from LNP Senator Susan MacDonald, Senator Murray Watt told Senate estimates food prices won't necessarily rise due to the emissions proposal. The government is not proposing to impose an emissions reduction target specifically on the ag sector. So any concerns from the NFF or others that we're going to require agriculture to be net zero, that is not what we're proposing. We are proposing that the ag sector should reduce its emissions and contribute to an economy-wide target. But I guess I also don't accept the proposition taking action on climate change must drive up food prices. It would be naive to think that activities to reduce emissions won't drive up the cost of food. I don't think it necessarily has to. If we can be be shifting to lower cost energy over time through renewables, the cheapest form of energy available, that will reduce farm costs just as it will reduce your own power bill at home. Australian farmers and cattle producers who trade with Indonesia have been watching the Indonesian election closely. A number of commodities such as live cattle, box beef and table grapes have no access to the Indonesian market because import permits haven't been issued this year at all, with the delay blamed on the country's presidential elections. Early results from yesterday's Indonesian election suggest Prabowo Subianto will be the country's next president and experts say it could take another month of waiting before the Indonesian bureaucracy gets moving and signs off on the permits. Fertiliser giant CSBP has launched a new scheme where customers can pay an additional fee to offset the manufacturing-related carbon emissions associated with its urea. CSBP says it will purchase Australian Carbon Credit Units, or ACCUs, on behalf of farmers. An ACCU is currently worth about $35, and CSBP says for every tonne of urea that arrives at its sheds, point. 
nine a tonne of carbon dioxide is generated. So if you went ahead and purchased this carbon neutral urea, how much of a dent would it make in the total greenhouse gas emissions of your grain growing operation? Condinen's Group's Ben White says there's growing interest in reducing CO2 emissions either through efficiency or by paying for offsets and CSBP is meeting that market. A company will respond to what the market is asking for, so there must be some level of demand for it, I dare say. And probably that demand comes not necessarily just through the farmer, but but the people buying the grain at the end of the day. So uh, if we're talking about a grain product, for example, um, yeah, there's obviously a market for uh, a product that's carbon neutral. I know that there's um, certainly some growers that supplied carbon neutral barley to a few um, maltsters and and brewers last year. So that might um, be part of that picture. Australian canola exporters have made significant inroads chipping away at Canada's long-held markets. Quality and quantity is driving the interest in our canola. Europe was just one market that saw huge increases. Australia exported five times the amount of canola into Europe than Canada in just the last five months. Mark Martin is the Director, director of Market Ag and he says the Canadians are worried. We've punched 750,000 tonnes um, into Europe, and at the same time, Canada's only managed to push in 152,000 tonnes. We've put um, nearly half a million tonnes into Japan in that same period, and Canada's only managed 280,000 tonnes. So that's a, quite a mature market for us, but it just shows that we've, um, you know, we've still kept the Canadians out of there. A couple of the newer ones for us, Pakistan and Bangladesh, we've totally displaced the Canadians and we're now the major supplier of canola to those countries. And the pea season in Tassie has wrapped up and it was much better than last year. Pea viners are off for their annual maintenance and the peas are either frozen at the Devonport plant or sent to New South Wales for canning. Simplot spokesman Les Murdoch says it was a good year for Tasmania which grows 90% of Australia's peas. We've had a pretty good result, really. We stopped for a day or so, once or twice, but that was about it. Um, so we were very lucky, considering you know Victoria got a lot of heavy rain and we missed out. So that was just good luck on our behalf, I think. Tasmania is probably the the place in Australia to achieve the best quality and highest pea yields that we can get with peas with flowering. If really hot conditions are flowering, they'll tend to drop flowers and won't set pods at where those flowers are. It's the heat and the 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 constant temperature that will impact the plants. And on that happy note, Warwick, that what wraps up rural news. Oh, you bring the joy for us even on a difficult day. Thank you very much for that, Emma Field. You know I love a dad joke. Weather Bureau is on the way in just a moment. Jeff's on the line from Jam Jarrett, though, in South Gippsland with important sort of really knowledge for us all. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Warwick. Um, I just wanted to call, call you and let everyone know about the we've got no phone coverage, mobile phone coverage in South Gippsland. Um, so the only reason I can talk to you now is because I'm sitting outside my house, which has got Starlink, and we can we can communicate there. But I'm out cleaning up trees, and it's quite scary to think that if I get hurt, I can't call anyone. Um, we're on we're on the Bass Highway, which is the gateway to Phillip Island, um, and we're not going to get power back till till Saturday night. So that's what Telstra told us today that we're not going to have. Uh, phone coverage till that's back. So you know, if someone has a, an accident, you can't call can't call anyone. Triple um, zero. If if someone has a heart attack, you can't you can't call. It's just crazy to think that after all of the the, the massive bushfires and stuff that 
Telstra still hasn't learned the lesson to go and install generators um, to to these mobile towers and, and exchanges. So we've got phone coverage. Phone coverage is so in, so important. So I would assume that their battery backup has gone flat, and now we've got no coverage. So it's it's really scary, you know, when you when you're cleaning up um, trees that. You know, if you get hurt, that's it, you're done. You don't have the support there. Jeff, really important, and I'm so glad the phone held out while we could at least talk to you there. Um, thanks very much for giving us a call, and it's a really important message for us to hear. Thank you. Jeff at Jam Jarrett there, 1300 two. Brian McPherson is the Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you going? Thank you for waiting while we had a chat to, to Jeff there as well. Weather-wise, uh, a lot of the worst of it has gone, but how's it looking today? Yeah, look, today's uh, fairly lovely. A uh, little bit of cloud in the south, but otherwise just generally a sunny day. Um, and temperatures fairly mild, so below average, and those light to moderate southerly winds. We might start to see the chance of um, thunderstorms and showers uh, pick up in the in the far east and, and north northeast um, from tomorrow, but not really expecting anything to be severe or anything like what we've had um, earlier in the week. Uh, and that that chance will just persist around that area for, uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, but the good news is the parts of the state that need um, the most uh, good luck at the moment have some pretty clear weather coming up for most of the week ahead. And so warnings-wise, there's really not much there at the moment. Is that likely to stay given we've got those settled conditions? Yeah, look, um, if we do get any storms that, you know, end up being severe over the weekend, which, you know, only a very slight chance, um, obviously we'll see some warnings then. Uh, wind-wise, it's all fairly light at the moment. There's a ridge of high pressure that's um, extending over the south of the state, um, but not really expecting any winds to be too significant. Um, Heatwave-wise, things are relatively mild. So not really expecting any warnings there either. So, yeah, good news. It's a, it's a fairly settled a week for certainly the next few days um, and relatively mild temperatures and clear skies and, um, yes, yeah, make things a little bit easier for the clean-up. Certainly so. Bri, thank you so much for the update. Not a problem. Bri McPherson there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the weather, weather forecast there. Better conditions, certainly, than what was experienced by many of you earlier in the week. Uh, 0467 842 is the number that you can text... And look, we, we still have a little bit of humour on our text line. Anyway, Michael from the Macquarie. I oh, know, Michael, I'll get to your text in a moment when we talk water. Uh, it was Ian in West Gippsland I was going to read. Hi, Was The power just came back on at Bull and Bull East. We weren't expecting it until 6pm Saturday, but we only discovered it was on when my poor neighbour lent on his electric fence to talk to me. I think it reset his pacemaker, we reckon. He was really, really lively. 9kV. Ouch says Ian in West Gippsland. Uh, that is incredible, Ian. What a story. Thank you for providing us with a bit of humour on the text line whilst we're talking about difficult times. Uh, we've been talking a lot on the country air about telecommunications. You just heard from Jeff too about that on the program. Let's talk about it in more depth right now about what's going wrong. Uh, and we can do that because there's been huge parts 
with power outages and telecommunication blackouts. Telstra reported 488 mobile towers went down after the storm on Tuesday afternoon and uh, a couple of hundred have remained offline with most customers without phone service in Gippsland. Damien Stock lives on a property at Woodside in Gippsland. He's a telecommunications consultant. He says the network is not designed to cope with such severe weather events. Our networks are just not designed well for redundancy. Uh, our exchanges are poorly serviced from a power perspective. So if the uh, grid network goes down from a power point of view, the exchanges go down. So all of the fact that we are so tied to our NBN services and our um, fixed wireless services means that as soon as the exchange goes down, our cell phones go down, our home phones go down, and our internet goes down. And at that point, we really are, you know, like on a rock. We, we've we got no communications. Uh, in our case down here, we're only, you know, 20 minutes from a major town. We're two hours from Melbourne, and yet our kids in Melbourne can't even talk to us because we're, we're, t- we're totally off the air. With the mobile towers going down, why isn't there battery backup or is there? Well, it's not just the tower. The tower can stay up and I saw this last night. We have quite a strong link to our tower, which is 11 kilometres away. The tower's fine. The radio to the tower is fine. But what goes from the tower back to the internet or back to the NBN, back to the core, has probably gone down because the amount of power that's or battery power or backup redundant power that's needed is just totally insufficient for what we use those towers and those exchanges for now because everything goes through those those exchanges so they haven't kept the amount of redundant power or enough battery power to keep it in line with what our current community needs are and who's responsible for that well, it depends on, on whose tower it is. A lot of these towers are shared between the telcos and the NBN. So there might be, you know, if you look at a, a local tower, there might be NBN antennas on it. There might be uh, uh, cell, cell phone tower uh, antennas from, say, Telstra, Telstra, Optus or whoever. And so they share those towers. So with all of that communication happening at that tower, the amount of backup power that's needed just you know expands out so quickly that they just don't keep up they try to put um solar panels there to be able to provide uh, redundant or charging of those batteries but it just doesn't last very long it can last only a few hours so we saw yesterday within a matter of hours the cell towers had gone down until they could uh pump those batteries back up and with storms expected to be um, more frequent with changing climates and things like that, do we have a system at the moment that's going to help us stay, you know, connected when, when more of these events happen? As weather gets more unpredictable and we have more of these outages, unless someone invests an awful lot of money and it's probably going to be in the billions of dollars to provide a more redundant network that's you know, from the from the cell tower to the exchange right back to the core of the network, unless those billions of dollars uh, are spent, um, no, we're not going to solve this problem in a hurry. 
So back in the day when um, Telstra was privatised, or Telecom, Telstra was privatised, they um, were required to do this universal service obligations. Um, is there anything like that for the NBN and for the mobile towers? Well, no. From my understanding, the universal service obligation virtually ended when the twisted pair network that serviced our home phones uh, stopped being the primary method of connection into the house. So the the problem we have now is that with the NBN, it's basically best effort. It's either there or it's not. So if we put all our eggs in the one basket with the NBN and the NBN network goes down somewhere within the network, then we lose our home phones, we lose our uh, telecommunications, we lose our cellular networks. So we've lost everything very quickly um, if there's a break in any part of the NBN. And it it doesn't appear to be any requirement by the NBN providers to provide anything more than a best effort. A close-by couple were told um, that it would be 10 days before their their NBN satellite connection was would be investigated because it had gone down. You know, 10 days. Like, how do you live for 10 days, a uh, young family with kids and, and the requirements of everything that you do at home, to wait 10 days to get your, your one connection out to the outside world fixed? It is certainly food for thought there. That was... Uh... Uh, Damien Stock, who lives on a property at Woodside in Gippsland, telecommunications consultant, speaking there to Emma Field. As some of your texts coming in, David Lake Tyre says Telstra's just announced a billion dollar profit. How about putting a billion dollars into improving their systems? Half our country is crippled by this, says Dave in Lake Tyres. Uh, other texts coming into zero four six seven eight four two seven double two are on the story we're about to talk about, which is the government purchase latest government purchase of water in the Murray-Darling. Michael from Macquarie says, in a cost-of-living crisis, the federal government spending $205 million on water at over $100 per litre, reducing food and fibre production, making groceries more expensive. Not sure the priorities of this government are right, says Michael. I don't think it's 100 bucks per litre. I think it's down in the cents. But I get your point, Michael. Thank you very much for providing that all the same. Let's talk about the details of that buyback right now. We can do that with our Parliament House reporter, Kath Sullivan, because the government has announced the results of its first water buyback process in the Murray-Darling since Labor took power. Water Minister Tanya Plibersek says the government will spend $205 million on just over 26 gigalitres of water in the basin after a round of a tender process. The 26 gigalitre figure is much lower than the 44.3 gigalitres that the government was tendering for. Kath Sullivan spoke to me to find out really what this means for the wider basin plan. Sort of like the more you know, the more you don't know. What's happened today is that the Federal Environment and Water Minister Tanya Plibersek has announced that as a result of an open tender process opened by the government last March to recover 43 gigalitres of water uh, for the environment, it's managed to secure the purchase of 26 gigalitres there at a cost of $205 million um, to to the Commonwealth. Now, this is water that would typically come out of the river each year to be used to grow uh, food and cotton crops, things like that. It will now stay in the rivers uh, with the intention of boosting the environment. When we say it's 26 gigalitres for $205 million, a lot of people are saying, oh, that sounds expensive. Oh, that sounds cheap. Um, 
we don't really know what has been paid to whom because this has obviously come from a, a makeup of different parcels of water from different water entitlement holders. I should say, that and we this- don't have that detail on what type of water has been bought where under this tender in the Murray-Darling Basin, do we? We do know. The the bits that we do know are that the government was seeking water from six valleys across Queensland and New South Wales to reach um, its bridging the gap target. Um, I mentioned the tender was open to recover 43 gigalitres. Um, today, the minister's announced they've found 26 gigalitres towards this target. But, of course, was for those who have been following the, the Murray-Darling Basin um, developments last year, new legislation was um, passed into law that says that a lot more water needs to be recovered for the environment, including 450 gigalitres of water to be recovered by the end of 2027. And, of course, there's the state-run water savings projects known as SIDLAM. Um, These were to recover 605 gigalitres of water by the middle of this year. Uh, We know that there's a shortfall of more than half of up to 315 gigalitres against that target, although that legislation last year has extended the deadline and will allow for new projects to meet those water savings targets. But the Minister, in changing the law, Minister Plibersek has allowed for a lot more water buybacks to take place. Minister Plibersek late last year told you and, and announced it on her social media that they had more than double the offers mm. for the amount of water that they were tendering for. They, they've only got 60% or so of the, the water uh, from that initial tender here, 26 gigalitres out of 44 gigalitres. Has the minister given a reason why? Well, the minister says that the contractual processes are underway and she's continuing to work with the states. This, um, what we're calling bridging the gap water, not, not we, what's known as bridging the gap water, um, it needs to come from uh, uh, within this tender process. It needs to come from valleys within New South Wales and Queensland. The minister says that she's working with those states to ensure that they can recover that water, that the contractual processes for this 266 um, gigs is underway. Um, That's roughly 10,500 swimming pools for those um, who like to measure things by Olympic-sized swimming pools. And we are heading to a a Senate estimates hearing tomorrow on Friday. The Murray-Darling Basin is up there and I think we can expect a lot more questions about that. Yeah, so this is some more detail, but at the moment, as things stand, there's probably more questions than answers on what this (laughs) means for the wider issue of more buybacks in the Murray-Darling. Well, that's it. We're, um, you can understand the government has said if it's going to be buying water, it doesn't want to declare its hand and say what kind of budget it has. Um, in 2022, I think it was the first Albanese government federal budget, a secret sum of money was set aside so that the government could participate in water buybacks. Um, it, there's been a lot of speculation about the cost of water buybacks financially, um, as well as those social social. Um, impacts across communities, um, which I think have been well articulated on on the Country Hour in in recent times about concerns for those communities where where irrigation is reduced. But um, if I could point you to, there was one statutory report was um, also in 2022 that suggested that removing the deadline on on the uh, 450 gigalitres of water for the environment, which we've seen the government subsequently do, could could still um, 
require more than $10 billion if the federal government was to buy back that water. Now, you're effectively, if you did that, you're more than, you're almost doubling um, what's already been allocated. The federal water minister has scoffed at that suggestion that it would be that expensive, but we're yet to find out how much um, it could cost and what sort of value that represents um, for the environment, for those regional communities, and for those irrigators or or water entitlement holders um, that are selling up. That's Parliament House reporter Kath Sullivan. Time for markets on the country hour. We can get a Gippsland market report today because Brendan Fletcher's out at Bandstar. G'day, Brendan. G'day. Warwick numbers increased to 640. That's 130 more than the sale of a fortnight ago, with another buyer joining the regulars after a short absence and most operating in a cheaper market. Quality was limited with cows and secondary lots well supplied. The young cattle sold mostly to restockers, 10 to 25 cheaper. Manufacturing steers lost 20 to 40. Grown steers and bullocks eased 25 cents. Cows slipped 30 cents with processors loading cows for an estimated 408 to 473 cents a kilogram. Carcass weight. Heavy bull sold firm. Yearling trade steers sold from 278 to 285. Heifers to the trade 260 to 280. Grown steers and bullocks, 245 to 280. Heavy Frisian manufacturing steers, 215 to 219. Crossbreds, 227 to 264. Most light and medium weight cows, 110 to 215. Heavyweights, 180 to 253. Heavy bulls, 230 to 252. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. To the sheep and lambs now and Leanne Dax at Wagga. Good afternoon. The Wagga market showed fluctuating trends as supermarkets and some export companies showed less activity compared to the previous week, despite a smaller turnout of 39,600 lambs and 15,000 sheep. The quality of the offering varied significantly. Trade lambs in particular showed inconsistencies in their finish with a notable absence of bloom among the light lambs. Consequently, buyers exercised caution, favouring shorn, well-bred types with plenty of frame. Trade lambs experienced a price correction of 10 to $15 with those weighing 20 to 24 fetching 110 to 150 Heavier categories 24 to 26 sold at 155 to 174 Heavy lambs encountered challenges in attracting buyers consistently, leading to a noticeable price drop. Prices for heavy lambs dropped $14 with 26 to 30 selling at 165 to 196 and over 30 kilos carcass weight 191 to 246 averaging 657 cents a kilogram carcass weight. The sheep get to be sold, Leanne Dux, MLA. Thanks Leanne, lucky last, Chris Agnew at Hamilton. Thanks Warwick, there was a large reduction in the sheep numbers at Hamilton Market today where the agents offered 6,800 sheep, some 10,000 fewer than last week's offering. Not all the regular processors were present and those that were, were were not always fully active in a market that was very lacklustre being softer by $25 to $30 per head over most categories. The general run of mutton realised to average between 170 and 220 Crossbred ewes sold to a top of $75 per head, with the well-covered merino ewes selling to $68, merino weathers to $70, and hoggets selling to $72 per head, merino rams making up to $12 per head. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Sounds a pretty brutal day at sheep markets. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Thank you for joining us on the Country Hour today. We'll try and do it all again tomorrow. It's one o'clock.